T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Welcome to the UFO Paranormal Podcast. This is Grant Cameron speaking. Today I want to do just a little uh, bit of this, a little bit of that, just to talk about some of the things that happened the last couple of days. Uh, I felt inclined to put these down. One is a uh, very recent interview that was done with Colm Kelleher, who ran the OSAP program for Bob Bigelow, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program uh, that ran from 2008 to 2010. He just did an interview with um, uh, New Thinking Aloud, and some of the stuff he said was kind of interesting. Not much new. He's talked about quite a bit of this stuff before. Uh, the one thing he did mention that I thought was extremely interesting was the fact that when he was hired by Bob Bigelow in the mid-1990s, he was sent to um, England to look at crop circles, and it was there that he gathered some material. He brought it back, but then he was quickly redirected to the Skinwalker Ranch, which had just been bought by Bob Bigelow. And he stated that he had spent, uh, I think, 300 days a year at the site. This was sort of his main job. And this would later become a focus of the OSAP program from the Defense Intelligence Agency. Now, um, one of the interesting things that he mentioned is the fact that when, as soon as he got to the site, very shortly after he was on the site, he had a very clear UFO sighting. And the thing came over the, uh, the ridge. It came right over top of his head, did a hairpin turn. Him and another uh, researcher did this hairpin turn and turned around and went back back over the ridge and disappeared. Now, I've always said this about um, UFOs, that I really doubt very much that UFO sightings are very random. Uh, he talks later on about Lekatsky going in um, 2007, I believe it is, after reading the Skinwalker book, and Lukaski goes there and sees this um, tubular bell symbol as Bob Bigelow and the ranch uh, manager are talking in behind them. You can see this symbol that he describes as being on the cover of the tubular bells, which was the music for the exorcist. And he looked away, looked back, the thing was still there. And the word that Comb Kelleher used for um, Lukaski sighting was that it, it looked like, was like he was targeted uh, with this sighting. And I would say it appears the same thing happened to Comb Kelleher, that they knew he was coming and he was targeted with this sighting. Because I always say when I, I talk to people about UFO sightings is what was the UFO doing? 
and basically it wasn't doing anything. It just is there. It wants you to see it. It makes this these weird little turns. It comes right to you. Right to you. It flies away. And so that was kind of something interesting I found that Comb Keller talked about was his UFO sighting once he got to the ranch. He talked about uh, a number of other things about the um, the injuries, which um, was kind of interesting because earlier on he had said that the vast majority of the injuries were uh, um, there was more people injured than there were healed because he was asked about the healing thing. So. Recently, I've been asking people who were involved, whose files were sort of involved. For example, Deborah Cobble, whose file was one of the files that John um, uh, Carpenter sold. He was a regressionist, uh, and these were confidential abduction files. He sold them to Bob Bigelow. One of those was Deborah's file, and I asked her, okay, they had your file, and this is part of the ASAP uh, uh, files of material that they gathered. Did they ever talk to you? And she said, no, they didn't. And Chris Butzo um, also had 15,000 videos and uh, photographs. And I asked Chris, did they ever talk to you? If they're investigating UFOs, what this is all about? And he said no. So what it appears is that the investigation is still basically uh, military. It's got to do with military sightings, military uh, people. And that would, to me, sort of explain where this injury thing comes from. Uh, because um, Likaski did point out uh, let me get the exact words here. He talked about the fact that the injuries and the weird stuff uh, before the military came in there was at, quote, very low level. And he said that, um, for example, uh, Knapp's wife saw something, uh, Bob Bigelow's wife saw something, but it wasn't very dramatic. It was when the military people came on. In fact, he used the, the statement, he said, um, he had been on the site 300 days a year and that basically when it came to the weird stuff or the hitchhiker stuff or all this kind of stuff, the negative stuff, basically 98% didn't apply. Didn't apply. It was, it didn't, it wasn't existing. There may have been small little items, but as soon as the military came on, he called it, it was like 100%. He said all hell broke loose. And he talks the same thing as other people have talked about is these, uh, former uh, military special forces operational guys who are now in intelligence analysts and have come in and um, maybe trying to take on the phenomena or confront the phenomena. And that's when all this bad stuff start, starts to happen. So um, this would indicate that you're having two different things. You're having the military who get one reaction and you get the civilian. So in the civilian area, uh, opposed to... Uh, Kelleher's statement that the vast majority of the stuff is negative in terms of uh, people being injured versus being healed. If you look at the free survey of the civilian people, uh, it's very clear that of the people that answered the question, 50% of the people in the survey, and this is thousands of people, said that they either they or someone in their family had been healed, or 50% said that after their experience, they could heal other people. So you have this sort of... Um, situation where the phenomena is reacting to whoever it's engaging, that there is a connection between the observer and the phenomena. There is no separation. The last thing I want to mention about this um, interview was he talked about the this wolf-type creature that was standing in the backyard of uh, one of the, the uh, DIA analysts' homes where the wife saw this, this um, 
wolf-type being standing against this tree, looking menacingly at her. And so they went and they did the investigation when they when uh, the Asa people got there, and they discovered these deep claw marks in, that had been scratched into the tree. Well, the question would be, why would a uh, a wolf creature scratch something into a tree? What's the point of that? It doesn't make any sense, except to say, yeah, I was here. It was a, almost like the, the oil idea of why do UFOs have lights on them? They have lights on them so you can see them. Why do they uh, leave crop circle marks so you can you can get the observation that they were there? Or why do they put triangles on people's wrists? And I just had talked to Deborah, Deborah Cobble in the interview I did with her, and she confirmed that she also had a, a triangle on her wrist. Same sort of thing, so they leave the scratch marks in a tree to give you the idea that, yeah, this is for real, to get you down the rabbit hole and to investigate it. There is no other reason why a wolf-like creature would stand there and not do anything, uh, sort of look at, at the person and then leave claw marks and then just run off and, and nothing else happens. So that's the uh, Lekatsky interview. The next thing I'd like to discuss is uh, an interview I did yesterday with uh, Mr. Uh, Jimmy Blanchett. Um, this has to do with radio communication. Uh, Jimmy is responsible for developing a protocol for using uh, both a, a ground ray, a ground antenna that he projects signals and bounces them off the moon, and with these small 8-watt um, handheld radios, and he developed a system where he would send out signals and receive signals back. And it, it, it seemed to indicate that he had developed some sort of communication with the intelligence behind the UFO phenomena. Uh, recently, he talked to me and he said that he had decoded one of the messages. So he would send a message out and you have to look at the whole video of how he does this, how they encode the signal, send the signal out. And I always engaged uh, the people that were doing this as to is anybody working on decoding the signals that are coming back so they will have for example three radios all on the same frequency 144.1 and uh, only one of the radios will start to react they'll send a message out on the one radio and that radio will be the only one to react so if it was a local signal all three radios should be picking up and should be chattering but only one picks it up so they developed this technique and then uh, Jimmy believed that he had actually decoded one of the messages. So this is what the interview was about yesterday. Uh, Jimmy is um, a very, very smart guy. The whole time I was doing the interview, I just had the impression I was talking to some sort of Einstein-type person. Extremely knowledgeable, uh, is able to put a bunch of different scenarios all together, keep things in his head, um, and he's following a, a an old protocol. Um, in the early 1950s and the early 1960s, uh, the Canadian government was involved. Wilbur Brockhouse Smith was a radio guy. He was the head radio engineer for the Department of Transport for the Canadian government. And he was doing exactly what Jimmy Blanchett was doing. And that is trying to make uh, radio communication with um, the ETs. Wilbur Smith was talking to two particular beings that he believed that he was in contact with. One was named Alpha. One was uh, named Tyla, and Jimmy Blanchett was born very close to Ottawa. Well, not very close, but in the very next province over from Ottawa 12 years later after Wilbur died, and he seems to be continuing on what Wilbur was doing and has achieved, I think, some success. Have we as achieved contact? 
can't say that for sure, but I would say we are very, very close. Jimmy is on the edge. Uh, he has produced some very spectacular stuff. The interview uh, I will post here on the podcast, uh, but it may not be as uh, fruitful to listen to it on the podcast as to watch it on the video. It's about an hour and 45 minutes as to the decoding of the signal, and he describes how it was decoded, and it has to do with eight tones, almost like an, an octave of a um, uh, uh, of music. And this is um, uh, kind of interesting because what, what he does is he takes these, these different frequencies, these eight tones, and then he does a lot of mathematics, and, and it would tie it in. The background you need to actually know the full extent of this is to read the epilogue to the uh, Rendlesham Enigma. And the, and the Rendlesham Enigma has to do with the message that Jim Penniston got by touching the craft that had landed at Rendlesham Forest. He got this binary message to him. And what I would say is that the message that Jimmy's gotten is very similar uh, to the Rendlesham message in that it has a lot of mathematics in it. It's not a simple, hi, we're here from Zeta Reticuli, how you doing? That's a left-brain message. That's what we want. We want some sort of verbal, uh, rational, analytical thing. Uh, what this uh, whole thing, to sum up what, what Jimmy had discovered, it seems to deal with how the universe is actually built. It's very, very intricate. Uh, Jimmy goes through all the mathematics of how these frequencies all line up. One of them, of course, is the famous Schumann's resonance. Is one of the frequencies he picks up uh, on analyzing these this one signal that was coming back. So we go through this this whole thing. And the other stuff that I think you should look at is the the whole idea behind the messages in the crop circles. A lot of that will have to do the same sort of message. It's this idea that you have to work it out, and it has to do with mathematics, and it has to do with sacred geometry and all this kind of stuff. And the other thing that it, it ties into is this whole thing that Rendlesham Forest Message talks about is the idea of the pyramid that the pyramid is intricate to uh, the mathematics of the universe, that it's built at a certain dimension and height and all this kind of stuff. And all these things, when you start looking at the, the actual uh, dimensions, it all indicates the same thing, whether you're looking at crop circles or you're looking at Jimmy's message, whether you're looking at the, uh, the pyramids, is this very intricate uh, balance in the universe with all these frequencies. And this may be how things are actually being developed. Which brings up a interesting. Chris Bledsoe had just done a podcast with his son Ryan. I think it was December twenty second, and he mentioned something that I had not heard before, and that was in the two thousand and seven experience in January that he had, where he was missing for four and a half hours. Um, he has got recall now of what happened during that four and a half hours, and he was taken in a uh, an orb, a clear orb, which is exactly what Betty Andreessen talks about as well. And there's one other person who talks about this uh, moving around in a clear orb. And he's taken to Egypt and he's shown the pyramids and he's, he's basically told this all ties into the pyramid. You'll see when Jimmy Blanchett talks about this, you'll see the same thing. You'll see this mathematical uh, material, the sacred geometry, uh, the flower of life, all this kind of stuff. It's absolutely fascinating how Jimmy has put this, this all together. And the... Uh, one of the last things I can discuss is uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to, before I put the full YouTube video on, I'm going to put a short segment where Jimmy picked up a, a connection to the movie Contact. And he plays a little section of the movie Contact, and then he plays the tone. 
and I tell you, it'll take your breath away. It's really stunning when you see. And this came from a, a, a noetic experience that Jimmy had. Jimmy, like other people in the field, have had these moments where there's been an engagement with a, an intelligence or a force. He had someone at his house, and he tells this story about uh, this being. Uh, the, the guy that was at his house asked the being about Jimmy's radios. Uh, what do we need to do? And the guy and this being tells him what to do. And that links into this contact thing that Jimmy does it. And then he he, kinda, he compares the signal uh, when it's been changed to the signal at contact. And it's 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 stunning. Uh, I'm just honored to have been able to interview Jimmy about this. I think he's on the very leading edge. I've produced him a, a couple of items that sort of linked in with Schumann's resonance stuff that I had discovered in the past. And I think uh, he's on a, a path of discovery He's uh, continuing, and uh, most of the stuff has only happened in the last year. So I, I hope you can look forward to um, watching this interview. It'll be better on the on the YouTube rather than the podcast because you, you, it goes through a lot of mathematics, a lot of diagrams describing different things and how it all fits together. And so that's about it. I'll leave it for that today. Um I said to Jimmy, if you don't win the Nobel Prize, the world is is uh, not a fair world. Uh, this guy is on the leading edge of something. And uh, again, I'm absolutely honored to have been able to interview him and to be on the leading edge of something that I already knew three years ago. Uh, we knew they were doing this radio work. Uh, nobody would tell me what they were doing. They just said this is stunning material. We actually talk about it a little bit in contact modalities, but we don't really... Uh, get into details, but now we've got a lot of the details, and do not miss this interview, especially the last maybe 45 minutes of the interview is absolutely stunning what this man has discovered. Take care, and we'll talk to you later. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books and my facebook sites are in the show notes if you love the podcast or learn something valuable we'd love for you to subscribe rate or give a review on today's episode if you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future please let us know until next time watch this space and thank you so much for listening